Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight is June 7th of 2012, and tonight our guest will be Jenny Barber, who will be sharing her experiences working in a harm reduction youth shelter called uh, Eva's Satellite in Toronto, Canada. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free of charge, a lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits. Habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. And our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Our guest, Jenny Barber, is with us right now. We're going to bring her on. Jenny, how are you doing this evening? I'm very well, Ken. Thank you. And how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Well, <clears throat> it's great to have you on the show this evening. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Uh, tell me, how did you get interested in working in harm reduction? Well, actually, um, my interest sort of began um, as I was struggling with my own addiction issues. Um, I left home at a very young age and end up, ended up on the streets of Toronto um, and Montreal on and off for about seven years. Um, I experimented quite a bit um, with many different drugs and um, frequented a lot of... Um, youth-centered, youth-focused drop-in centers and health centers and things like that. And um, many of them um, operated um, from a harm reduction philosophy, and that's sort of like where my interest in harm reduction came from. Okay. uh, Tell us, what is Eva's satellite and Eva's initiatives? Um, Eva's Initiatives is an organization that was started by a very lovely woman named Eva, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, who um, took an interest in um, in um, homeless and street-involved youth. And um, it was her goal to um, develop some uh, different programs um, to sort of to help these young people. So they have many different um different uh, focuses. They have three different shelters, um, two emergency shelters. Um, one of them is Eva Satellite, where I work, and they have another sort of um, like, uh, uh, sort of like, um, like, uh, more like transitional, more like a transitional housing program um, for, for youth as well that goes up to 29, actually. Um, but Eva Satellite is, is where I work, um, worked as a harm reduction worker. And um, yeah, that's what that's what I did there. How did you uh, did you find an ad in the paper, or how did you find this uh, position? Well, actually, um, I had just completed um, a shortly over a year position um, at a drop-in center called YouthLink Inner City um, in downtown Toronto, and um, which was actually a place I frequented as a youth um, for you know food, toiletries, place to kind of settled down um, somewhere that I could go for referrals to um, uh, health care, um, uh, you know, education, employment, things like that. And um, after I had transitioned off of the street and had um, maintained housing for a while, I, you know, I became interested in finding some employment, um, you know, having, uh, you know, no education basically at the time. Um, you know, they had a, a peer education program that they, that they ran. Um, their advanced peer education program, and I applied there and was lucky enough to get the position. So after after working as a full-time member of the drop-in, 
um, and completing um, many different trainings, um, you know, from harm reduction to anti-oppression, um, you know, things like that. Um, I was able to uh, get a little bit more connected in the community. And it was through um, some colleagues that I heard about the position that had come up at, at Satellite. Um, so, I, you know, I thought, you know what, why not? I don't, um, I don't have a whole lot of education, but I got a lot of experience, um, both uh, personally and professionally, and I thought, I, you know, I would go for it. Well, I think experience is a really important thing for harm reduction workers to have. Um, I've talked about this quite a few times. When I wanted to find a way to do harm reduction for alcohol, I realized I needed to get some kind of training. And the, the only thing I could think of to do was to go volunteer at the needle exchange in Minneapolis on and off for about a year. And that right. was such a good experience for me. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine um, that it would be. You know, it's really, you know, harm reduction in a lot of ways is, you know, it's very hands-on. Um, you know, having the personal experience is very helpful. Um, you know, uh, a, a lot of the the youth that um, I worked with at Satellite were, you know, a lot of times in crisis. Um, you know, it's very sort of like, uh, you know, immediate needs that needed to be met. So um, if someone comes to me and they, um, you know, for example, have been uh, experimenting with injection drug use and they have an abscess, um, you know, it's helpful that, um, you know, that I've had some experience with that and, you know, have some um, suggestions, um, you know, some direction for them. Um, and also, you know, if that's the case, then also providing them with, um, you know, information, how to use harm reduction equipment, um, safer drug use equipment properly, um, you know, to, you know, increase the, um, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the positive uh, outcomes, um, you know, from this material that's available. So, um, Absolutely, it's really important. Um, not not necessary. I find that you know to have some um, workers that have personal experience um, as well as um, you know workers with education. You know together, you know those you know two types of people can form a really amazing team, and we cover all of the bases that way. Absolutely. Now, what age groups did you work with? Um, the majority of the youth that we worked with, um, that, that EVA Satellite works with, is 16 to 24. Um, occasionally, we would have some transitioning youth, so um, transitioning out of uh, that youth age group. Um, so sometimes 25, 26. Um, we try to be, um, you know, as inclusive as possible. Um, but there's, you know, definitely, you know, at times a need to maintain um, those those um that age mandate um you know having um young you know we were a co-ed facility um so having uh young men and women in their mid to late 20s or, um around young you know 16 17 year old youth who you know are beginning to experiment with drug use i'm sure you can imagine um some of the issues that might arise so the majority of the youth were between 16 and 24 so just on on that, uh, did, what sort of issues did arise? I mean, do you think that the older the older people in that uh, group might have influenced the younger people to do more drugs, to do less drugs, or what? What was your impression? Um, you know, I, I think um, hmm, I think you know, I I wouldn't want to say uh, you know, I don't I don't want to sort of um like villainize the the older crowd at all um i think but you know sometimes 
um, young, you know, youth get kicked, you know, a lot of the youth that we were seeing were, you know, 16, 17, being kicked out of their home for you know, whatever reason, sometimes didn't, you know, the issues didn't have anything to do with drug use. And um, coming into a shelter where, um, you know, the older crowd, you know, had, you know, at times like much more experience with drug use, um, you know, the availability um, of, of drugs was there, um, you know, uh, you know, peer pressure, um, is, you know, sometimes unavoidable. Um, you know, we saw some of that. And then, you know, relationships get developed. Um, Looks like our call just dropped. I'm going to try and dial back out here. Mm. And we're going to see if we can get Jenny back on the line here. So we're just waiting a minute for this to dial back out. Hello? Hello, Jenny? Hello? Hello, Jenny, are you there? You've reached my answering machine. Leave me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as possible. We're going to try once more to dial out. So our call has dropped. We'll see if we can get her. Hello. Hello, your call dropped there, but we have you back. Oh, I am on a cell phone, so sorry about that. It's okay, we got you back now. So, uh, um, uh, we were talking about uh, the older, the older ones and the younger ones. Right. I mean, you know, relationships would develop. Um, uh, you know, sometimes like boys and girls in relationships, um, and you know, unfortunately, we were seeing, um, you know, kids getting pressured at times, I think. Um, at the, you know, the, the upside to that was that we, you know, we had a harm reduction program. Um, we had a daily drug and alcohol awareness groups. Um, we had girls group and guys groups. So we could sort of talk about what some of those issues were, some of the issues that, that, um, that did arise, and just, you know, provide um, the young people and the older, and the older youth as well, um, you know, information to keep them, them safe, you know, in, um, hopefully to, in, you know, increase self-esteem and, um, you know, allow each individual to make decisions for themselves. Okay. Uh, did, were you giving away uh, safe drug use equipment, the clean needles, uh, safe crack kits? Yes, absolutely we were. Um, and as well as condoms, dental dams, uh, female condoms, lube, um, and, and as well as piercing kits, safer piercing kits. Safer piercing, oh, yes. Did did. Yeah. It, um, did people ever say, "What are you doing, giving a 16-year-old a needle?" Um, absolutely, um, and you know that—that's definitely, uh, you know, I think uh, a constant question that um, people have for harm reduction workers and harm reduction programs is, you know, doesn't it, um, um, you know, like increase the numbers of, of youth? using injection drugs and, and things like that. And what we actually see, um, what the statistics tell us is that it doesn't increase the number of injection drug users, of, um, of crack users. What it does, um, what the statistics do show us as well is that it reduces um, the number of um, HIV transmission, um, hep C transmission, um, and we're also, ha you know, um, 
We're having conversations with people. You know, giving a 16-year-old a syringe also gives me the opportunity to say to them, hey, what's going on? You know, what drugs are you using? Do you know how to use them safely? Can I share with you some information on how to do that? Um, you know, can I give you some tips? Are you engaging in sex work? Uh, are you doing it safely? You know, um, you know, here's some information on where to find a healthy sexuality clinic. Here's, um, you know, here's what to do if you get an abscess. So, um, you know, as as well as you know, providing the equipment, it's not just here's a here's a needle. It's also here's this information. Um, let me connect with you. Let me develop a relationship with you, a trusting relationship with you, so that you know if issues do arise, if you want to work on your drug use, the amount, if you're looking at treatment, if you're looking at abstinence, um, that relationship has already been developed. Um, so you know they can feel more comfortable to come to us. And did you see a lot of people that were taking you up on those options to change their drug use, to reduce, or to go into treatment or to quit? Um, you know, I think uh, it, with working with young people, I find a lot of them are very hesitant to uh, to uh, talk about abstinence. You know, a lot of them are in, a, in, a, in an experimental sort of phase. They're figuring out who they are and what they what they like, what they want to do, um, and so. You know, we didn't see a lot of youth looking for abstinence, but we did see a lot of youth want youth wanting to um, work on the the amount of drugs they were using, the types of drugs they were using. Um, a lot of them wanted to look into treatment, into counseling. Um, you know, a lot of them would would make um, weekly appointments with us, with the various harm reduction workers on our team, and um, and you know, seek out support. Um, so absolutely. I mean, uh, there still was a lot of drug use that went on, but a lot of really important conversations happened. Um, we had, you know, some some incredible triumphs. You know, um, for example, a, a youth who was, um, you know, incredibly physically addicted to alcohol. You know, I'm sure you know, like the shakes in the morning and mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. you know, can't eat before a drink and all that sort of stuff. We actually saw them um, enter into treatment and get you know, a, an incredible grasp on their drinking um, to where it was more a recreational, um, you know, activity rather than um, a daily need every day. So, you know, and, and, and that's, an, you know, we look at that as, um, you know, a triumph of the day, you know? I absolutely. And I see that happen more than people would think. You know, people think, oh, once you're addicted to alcohol, you're an alcoholic. You kind of you never change back to recreational use, but I see it a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, what we have to recognize is like the reasons why, you know, this young person had um, experienced an incredible amount of trauma in their life. And in dealing with some of um, those traumatic issues, you know, they were able to to make different decisions about their drinking, um, and and about how they dealt with their trauma. Now, did you? Uh, two questions in one here. Uh, did you teach about mm -hmm. overdose prevention? Did you address overdose? And did you have any problems with overdose at the shelter? Yes, absolutely. Overdose prevention um, was, uh, you know, like a, a, an issue that we took very seriously. Um, especially in providing um, injection drug use equipment in a residential setting. Um, it was something that is taken very seriously there. Um, workshops were done with the youth often. Um, 
we encourage as many youth as possible to attend, even um, youth who didn't identify as um, injection drug using, um, you know, to recognize the signs of an overdose, um, you know, what to do in case of an overdose. Um, there were a couple of instances of um, overdose happening in the shelter. Um, luckily, we had, um, we've had no fatalities, um, and I really uh, do believe that's, um, you know, because of, um, you know, our focus on educating um, the youth, the new youth that come in, as well as the staff. Um, so absolutely, it was, it was definitely an issue. Um, there had, you know, even youth overdosing outside of the shelter, but, you know, youth, we had come to feel, you know, as our youth um, experiencing that, and definitely um, it was something that we took seriously. We addressed with the, with the other residents after the fact, um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very tough. You know, it's, it's hard to, to sort of say, like, okay, you know, if we, you know, provide this equipment um, in a residential shelter, these are some of the issues that we're going to look at. Um, but what are the consequences if we, you know, if we don't provide this equipment, if we don't provide the safe space? You know, could these fatalities have happened? Um, you know, these possible fatalities have happened elsewhere had we not, you know, been available to these youth. Mm -hmm. Did you have uh, Narcan, also known as Naloxone? Was that available? You know, it's actually just become sort of um, more present in in um, in Canada. In, sorry, in Toronto. Um, last summer, it sort of um, uh, you know sort of spread. We we were just beginning. Just as I left my position, um, we were beginning to do to have. Um, some um, workers come up from the works, um, which is sort of like the original um, Toronto uh, harm reduction um, needle exchange organization. Um, back, like you know, they started in the 80s, so um, they were just beginning to do um, trainings with staff um, to any um, to any um, injection drug user that requested it. Um, you know, the training came with um, a kit that you could take with you. So um, that's just begun to sort of hit the streets, and people are actually attending the trainings and, um, and um, you know, getting educated on this. So it was sort of something that we had heard about in the States that we, we had hoped to sort of um, and get to us, and it's finally here, and, uh, and I think that's amazing. Okay. I know that you did some anti-oppression work. What is, what is that all about? Tell me about that. Um, well, anti-oppression work, we, we um, you know, we work with a wide variety of youth from every possible background, um, uh, you know, ethnic, um, you know, like ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, um, class backgrounds, um, and then even within sort of like the drug-using communities, um, sort of depending on which drug you use, there's sort of like a hierarchy. Um, so it was really important to do, um, you know, for staff as well to go and, um, and take anti-oppression trainings um, to sort of, you know, uh, it's, it's so important, you know, with a slip of a, of a tongue, with, with um, you know, a word said the wrong way, um, you know, that can be incredibly offensive and it can um, alienate um, and stigmatize these that we work with. So it's hugely important for, for 
us as staff to be educated, but also um, to provide anti-oppression workshops with the youth. Um, you know, absolutely about, you know, racism and classism, sexism, um, homophobia and transphobia, but also um, to, to work on breaking down the barriers between um, drug use and communities. Um, you know, there's uh, oftentimes like a lot of um, sort of like hate for each other, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the, the IV drug users, um, you know, are hating on the, the crack users who are hating on the crystal meth users. And um, so, you know, that can really, um, you know, in a, res in a residential facility, um, you know, that can cause like some huge problems and, you know, build these huge barriers and, um, and can result in violence and all different sorts of things. So um, we, you know, it was incredibly important, um, you know, that we did these workshops and, and tried to educate each other and sort of break down those, you know, that stigma that's so inherent, it seems, in the youth community. Well, I've seen it uh, everywhere. Um, you know, people that drink alcohol and they look down on drug users, but then there's people that smoke marijuana and they say, oh, I don't want anything to do with alcohol or anybody that drinks. And that, yes. um, sometimes the people that use the heroin think that they're cooler than everybody else, as I've seen this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very strange. Um, and sort of, I think, and when, you know, individuals don't use um, any substances at all, looking and you sort of can almost group everyone together. And then you break into the community and you see that, you know, everyone's got their own little corner. And, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we all and they all want to be treated with respect. You know, mm -hmm. we're all human beings and we all, you know, have the same um, basic hopes and dreams. And we all, you know... Uh, you know, don't deserve to be alienated, stigmatized. So well, that's my, a huge priority. Yeah, my own experience, um, you know, I, I was never involved with any what they call hard drugs. I, I smoked a little marijuana when I was about 20, but, you know, I wanted to learn harm reduction, so I wanted to volunteer needle exchange. And at first, it, you know, for me, just as a, as a drinker, you know, it was a scary situation, but after doing this and meeting people and seeing, wow, everybody's just like us. And, you know, it, you know, you got rid of all that stigma. I would love, I, I think it would be great if everybody in the world could go, you know, spend a month volunteering in needle exchange and totally change yes. their view. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, you also do some art therapy, I think. So tell me something about that. Um, yeah, you know, the, um, we did a creative self-expression group every Friday, and um, th those were some of the best conversations that we had, the greatest sort of like um, periods of like building relationships with, um, with clients. Um, you know, we would just pick, you know, uh, for example, um, you know, painting or sculpting or, you know, we're going to make big posters um, for this event or that event. And um, just sitting around a table, uh, you know, getting dirty and, and uh, you know, getting covered in paint and glue and stuff, um, you know, it sort of, you know, broke down um, the barriers between client and worker. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we've been trying to have conversations, um, you know, with youth, you know, uh, 
you know, about healthy sexuality or, or even just some casual conversations about um, drug use, you know, we can sit in a, in a group and say, you know, this is how this is done and this is how that's done and, and things like that. And it sort of goes right in one ear and out the other. Um, and we found that these groups were hugely beneficial um, to just getting some of that information across and to getting some feedback, um, finding out, you know, sometimes we would discover something that, you know, some piece of information that we should have been, um, uh, you know, focusing on with the youth that we totally missed. And, you know, it gave us the opportunity to sort of reassess, um, you know, our, our format and, um, you know, to, to freshen up, um, uh, you know, like our the program um, content. Um, so, yeah, it, and just um, building the relationships within the shelter, um, you know, it really gave people the opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, uh, relate to one another and you know uh, it was also self-esteem building you know like wow I didn't realize that you could draw or you know you could paint or hey that's beautiful what you've done and and you know even just saying like hey thank you you know that really helped you know that poster that you made for this event or whatever so there's so many benefits I think to to um to um to arts workshops how much were how much were the uh, residents there at the shelter? How much input did they have in their program? Was it uh, peer led, or I mean, how, how much were they involved? Well, um, we actually at Satellite there's two peer programs um, that uh, the youth can apply to to be um, to be a part of. Oftentimes, they just fill out um, a short application and. Um, you know, a one paragraph why I would like to be involved in this um, in, in this program. Um, there was one that was more um, um, like health, health and healthy activities oriented. Um, we had um, a gym. There's a gym in the building, a small gym, but a gym. Um, so, and uh, free they have during the day free periods of time where the youth can go in and um you know play basketball or hockey or or whatever and it's facilitated by members of um of this specific peer program so in that sense um you know they were involved um in in um in that in in that part of the program but we also had um an outreach training program that was more focused on um you know uh, you know like our um you know, healthy sexuality and drug and alcohol awareness workshops. Um, and we, you know, it would, um, they would complete a training program and then um, be involved in, in um, some of the um, program facilitation. So they would come in and sit with us during a drug and alcohol awareness group um, with other residents. And, um, you know, they would have, um, an opportunity to pick out some information about this particular drug um, that they wanted to share with the group and um, and present it. And then um, they would also accompany um, some members of staff that would come to downtown Toronto with um, harm reduction supplies and snacks and socks and, 
and things like that. They would accompany them to downtown Toronto to go around to um, use in the community and provide um, supplies to. So um, they, I mean, there was there was the, uh, the opportunity for them to get involved, absolutely. And um, you know, sometimes you know we'd be starting up the you know the girls group, and one of the girls would say, "Hey, can we talk about this today?" And it was like, "Of course." You know, like, "What do you want?" You know, is is there something you wanted to share? Is there a topic that you're curious about? Do you want to come and sit with me, and we can do some research online and and figure out um, you know more information about this? So absolutely, we're definitely open to, to peer involvement, and I really try to focus on that. Um, you know, I started out my career as a peer educator, um, so you know it's hugely important to me and really really cool to to try to encourage other young people. You know, I was in exactly the same position as them at one point. Um, so absolutely, absolutely, we try to involve them as much as possible. And just one last question, because we're running out of time. Are there any services available for people younger than uh, 16? Well, in Toronto, um, in Ontario, actually, you there are. There absolutely are. Um, but I don't believe that any of them are harm reduction focused. Um, in, in Ontario, you can't... Um, until you're 16, you're sort of under your parents' care um, or under the care of CAS, the Children's Aid Society. So up until that point, um, there are some uh, uh, organizations and facilities for you who um, use drugs, but um, the, they are, to the best of my knowledge, they are all um, like abstinence-based and more sort of focus on um, mental health, um, mental health issues and you know the drug use would be sort of secondary. So, okay, um, we're about yeah. out of time. I w I want to thank you very much for being our guest this evening, Jenny Barber. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ken. Thank you so much for inviting me. And everyone, come back next week when our guest will be Daryl Ray, who will be talking about recovery from religion. So thank you, everyone, and good night.